Let's go to our Monday expert now. Back in February, we did an expert segment on nail care, and our expert was so good, we've invited her back to talk about skin care. Dr. Louise Riker is a Palmerston North-based dermatologist and the chair of the New Zealand Dermatology Research Trust, and she joins us now to answer some of your questions about skin and some of mine too. Hi, Louise. Hello, Jesse. How are you? Good. Nice to talk to you again. What is skin? So skin is the outer layer of the uh, body. It's the layer that separates the outside world from the inside world. And it's not a bland barrier like um, a total concrete wall block. It's living material. And so you do get some communications between the outer and the inner world depending on what they are and how they interact with one another. Oh, yeah, well said. We've heard before that it's the largest organ in our body. What does that even mean? What's the definition of an an organ? Yeah, it's different parts of the body. So if you think of the heart being an organ, um, then and the brain being a different organ, perhaps the musculoskeletal system, bones and joints and so forth, the skin is a different uh, part of the body. It has a different range of functions. Every organ, though, interacts with every other in some way. And indeed, you are correct, the skin is the largest of them all in terms of the surface area. And... Yeah, each organ is obviously vital to human existence, but the skin can be overlooked because it's seen and taken for granted a fair bit of the time. Mm. How deep is skin? Depends whereabouts on the body you're looking at because it's thicker in different parts. For instance, the soles of the feet that we need, you know, if you spend a lot of time walking on the skin, there is much, much thicker. It can be several millimetres thick, depending on how much scale is there. Whereas the thinnest areas of the body are around the eyelid and also the scrotal skin, believe it or not. Hmm. I'll leave that one alone for now. Um, what okay. about What about the skin on your lips? Is, does that count as skin? Yes, it does. Uh, It is in the junction between what we call the mucosal areas. So those are the linings of the inner part of the body, which are typically more moist. So around the back passage and the private areas and inside your mouth, mucosal areas, the inside lining of the eyelids. And typically they feel a bit wet and that's because they are moving against other tissues in the saliva or fluids in those other different areas help to lubricate. So the the lining there will rub, that skin there will rub against its adjacent surfaces without causing abrasions. So uh, because of that, there are some properties a wee bit different. They tend to be less scaly in those areas. And interesting, the microbiome, the collection of organisms that line our skin, also line the gut, by the way, um, they are slightly different in moist areas compared to dry areas of the skin. So as we as we go through the skin at, at right angles, what do we go through? How many, uh, I mean, does the skin have layers? Is that the right way to think about it? Yes, and it depends how you look at the layers. So often we call the outside layers, if you like, the epidermis. And they are composed of five different layers. Um, And the outermost that we tend to see is where it's getting shed and what we see where the skin's 
flaking off at different times. And as you go further down, the skin tends to be progressively more intact, i.e. has firmer and firmer connections. Underneath that dermal layer is the underlying packing layer that's called the dermis. And in that layer, we have all sorts of structures that give a bit of padding to protect the outer layer of the skin, but also the inner parts of the body. And the best analogy I can often find to explain to patients is it's like the bubble wrap of, of the skin. So that, you know, if you know, if part, sending off a parcel and it's China and you've got heaps and heaps and heaps of uh-huh. packing around it, that gets well protected and has got a good chance of arriving at its destination intact. As we age, uh, that bubble layer, bubble layer, if you like, starts popping and it's not quite as effective. So it's a bit like bubble wrap that's been reused and reused and reused and got popped. It just doesn't provide the same padding. And therefore it's a bit easier for the delicate substances within to get damaged. So as people age, they often notice their skin tends to bruise more readily. It doesn't bounce back quite the same when you poke it and move it. And that's because a lot of that springy bubble wrap, if you like, the dermal layer, the elastic tissue, the collagen and so forth may have been a bit damaged. And there are other things that affect that uh, packing layer. And they include not only ageing, but you'll find acceleration if you've had a lot of sun exposure, if you have uh, had a lot of oral steroids can thin that layer underneath. Um, and then there are some genetic variations too. A poor diet will make you your skin not last as well or be as healthy, healthy looking. Oh, what sort of diet um, tips should we look out for? The classic uh, diet that works the best, the sort of thing probably our great our grandmothers and grandmothers would have great grandmothers would have told us to do Jesse, and that's eat up plenty of fresh fruit and vegetables. Mm-hmm. It would be having the lollies and cakes and junk food, sweets, fizzy drinks for very special occasions only. So, you know, years gone by that might be something you had for as a birthday treat or a Christmas treat, but it wouldn't be several times a week, let alone every day, as some people have increasingly gotten the habit of. So Going back to whole foods, largely and, and predominantly vegetable and fruit, seasonal fruit, seasonal food. If you think back to many um, of our ancestors, there were people who were the hunter gatherers. They raced out and they might have captured an animal or a beast on a rare occasion, and then the tribe, if you like, would have a lovely feast or a pig out on on the beast that was caught. But most of the time, they ate from what was surrounding. They gathered the sort of plants, the nuts, seasonal fruits. And that is what the body seems to have evolved to get best nutritional value out of. So the moves of going increasingly to whole plant-based foods, lots of fresh fruit and vegetables in the diet, and and not necessarily a vegan-only diet, but a vegan-predominant diet, sometimes known as the green Mediterranean diet, people can look up and search the details, does seem to increasingly come out as being the best type of diet for all sorts of health things. It seems to be beneficial to help ageing changes, autoimmune diseases, degenerative, it's best anti-cancer therapy, best anti-allergy therapy, and we find that it's best for the skin too. That diet doesn't have gluten in it, and it has uh, minimal dairy-based food, if any, too. 
What's the name of that diet? Like, what's the sort of shorthand? So, for it? if you look up um, a Mediterranean diet, and the yeah. particular version is a, a green Mediterranean diet. So, it does have a wide range of food. It doesn't mean to say you don't ever have have meat, and the white meats seem to be better to a bit more often than the red meats. But it just means we have uh, less of it in smaller servings than the average Kiwi diet has evolved yeah. to consider as the norm. Kia ora, 2101 is our text number. Our expert segment for a Monday is on skin. Dawn says, now that we're doing so much extra hand washing to avoid COVID, etc., I have constant problems with dry hands. I find a lot of products don't help and have nasty-sounding ingredients. What do you suggest, please, expert Louise? When you do wash your hands, it's good to, habitually if you're starting to have problems, use a non-perfumed alcohol hand washer so that that evaporates and dries. You're not having to use towels or paper towels to dry as well because they can cause mechanical irritation on the skin. So that would be the first thing to do. Sometimes it can sting a bit if your skin's a bit cracked to start with till you get used to it. Mm. Soap, if you think about it, a lot of soap and hot water is definitely drying. We use hot water and detergent in the dishwashing sink um, and that's better at taking off the greasiness off the plates and uh, other detriment on our cooking and so if the same thing happens to the skin the hotter the water the more soap you use the more uh, natural oils it takes off if your skin is visibly dirty then soap and water is recommended and after defecating soap and water is recommended for um, hygiene reasons but the rest of the time if you are using it just to try and keep your hands clean from COVID and flu bug, bugs and so on then a perfume-free alcohol hand sanitizer would be optimal and probably more, uh, or be a little bit less drying on Dawn's hands. The other wise to really hydrate it again is using plenty of moisturizer. A tip that could be very helpful Dawn is to get some white soft paraffin, its other name is Vaseline, and to put it on really thickly on your skin. And when I say thickly, often the analogy I provide is if you are making custard for a trifle, it's much, much thicker than a runny custard you might put over another kind of dessert. So if you put it on as thick as you would make a sort of trifle custard on your hands at night, last thing, the other thing that can be helpful is to put a pair of cotton gloves over the top, and that's simply so that the ointment will stay on your hands mm. and not get over all over your bed sheets. And if you were to do that for several nights in a row, you'll be impressed how much better hydrated your hands are within, a, within a day or day. Where or do two. you get that? Just so, the pharmacy? Yes, you can get white soft paraffin or Vaseline from a pharmacy and they can get quite big quantities and it's actually not expensive. The cotton gloves you can get from a variety of sources such as pharmacies, health and safety shops, Kmart, warehouse, a whole range. So the cotton means that you can wash it quite readily and uh, it's generally the gentlest on the skin. Cotton can also be cotton gloves useful to wear inside gloves that might typically make you sweat. So if you're doing household cleaning jobs for any length of time and you've got rubber gloves on, people often find their hands get sweaty. Wearing a pair of cotton gloves inside that will help absorb the sweat and then the rubber gloves won't irritate you the same. Thank you. Um, someone wants to know why allergies 
seem to affect the skin so much in particular? The skin is the largest organ in the body, so that's one one thing you're going to see it more there, but also remember it is on the outside and it is the protecting layer for the rest of the body. So the skin is that barrier between the foreign outside world and the inside world, so it fends off a lot of external environmental agents and the things that trigger allergies we call them allergens they're the sort of triggers for it so that's why you will see it manifesting in the skin because it's the barrier Mm -hmm. how much water does your skin need in terms of drinking water it'll depend on how old you are the size you are how much activity you um, undertake so roughly you would you would assess it really by the colour of your urine. And if your urine's fairly colourless or see-through, you, you're drinking plenty. If you're finding that your urine colour is getting to be quite a dark um, yellow colour, then you're definitely not drinking nearly enough. Thank you. Good advice. Uh, Jesse, can you please ask Dr Louise Riker about any new psoriasis treatments? Um, if there are any, if so, what are their names? Can a GP nurse prescribe these treatments? Um, yes, psoriasis, very tricky, very stubborn, and can really affect people's lives, Louise. For people who haven't come across it before, can you give us a quick rundown? It affects about 1% of the population, and in essence, the skin is turning over at an accelerated rate. So it's a bit like putting a whip on someone working in a factory and say, come on, you need to produce loads more, and you're under such stress that you cut a few shortcuts, and therefore the the quality of the goods at the end isn't, isn't as good. So in psoriasis, they find that the bricks, if you like, the renewal part, the bits holding the skin together, flaking and turning over so quickly, they shed a lot more skin. So that's the kind of person you'll often see has excessive dandruff all over their clothes and they stand up and move away from a chair and that's like hail's been left behind. So it's a, an over, it's an, a speeding up of the skin in a hurried manner so it doesn't get to do quite as a refined job. So it tends to be a skin condition that tends to be worse in the winter months. Interestingly, it's suppressed a little bit when, but by sunlight. Uh, it tends to be worse when people are stressed. It can be made worse by infection. And so uh, using plain moisturiser can often make the skin look less peely. And uh, a diet, as I've already mentioned earlier in the show, is the recommended one for psoriasis. If people are carrying extra weight, weight loss down towards a normal body weight can, for many people, cure their psoriasis. And if it doesn't cure you, it certainly makes you much more sensitive, i.e. better responsive to any of the treatments we give. So again, it comes down to the kind of lifestyle measures, regular exercise, exercise that makes you, well, they describe as being vigorous exercise. And for each of us, how do you define that? Well, quite simply, if you're getting quite puffed and a bit sweaty, it's recommended that adults have 30 minutes of exercise like that each day. Uh, then that has been the one kind of other lifestyle measure that has been associated with an improvement in in psoriasis and a long-lasting measure towards remission. 
So there are things people can do that can make a much bigger difference than anything a doctor can do for a patient with psoriasis. Uh, when they do have uh, more psoriasis, despite doing that, some people just have more stubborn disease, then there are a variety of topical treatments we can use first off. We arrange uh, detailed blood tests and investigations just to see, check up on other body organs because the next steps are providing tablets and which choice one would follow on would depend very much on the health of other body organs because some medications will have side effects potentially on the liver for instance, others might potentially have it on kidneys and so on. So it'd be very tailored to the patient. So the patient would probably be wise to first see their GP and then uh, next thing a dermatologist so they can have specific treatments. So it goes from things you put on top of the skin, various creams, then we go to tablets. Sometimes we can use medical uh, light treatment to help. And uh, after the different tablets have been gone through, if you still have psoriasis that's very resistant to all of those, then one may be eligible for injection therapy that alters the way the immune system res responds to the psoriasis. Those treatments are very expensive and therefore, and they have potential side effects. So that's why we tend to go through the simpler, less expensive and fewer side effect treatments first and escalate up the ladder according to need. Great answers. Thank you. Would you ask your guest, asks Sheila, what would be the cause for blocked facial skin pores increasing with age and what sort of treatment when many skin treatments, she says, have failed? So as with age, the sunlight, sun damage can cause alterations to both the surface and a little bit deeper. So things that look like kind of like the white acne spots but have a slightly yellower appearance and are solar comedones. So that's from years of outdoor sun exposure. And your best way to manage that is first and foremost by getting in the habit of always wearing a hat when you're outdoors and using a sunscreen every morning on your face and exposed areas every day all year round. For someone who's getting that slightly lumpy type, if you like, kind of inverted commas, acne-like skin, using a sunscreen that's in a lotion form or a lightweight base is best. Very heavy products tend to block the pores or cause uh, the occlusion in their own right. So if I go back to earlier in the program, Jesse, we talked about Vaseline being very thick and heavy mm. and being very, very good for very, very dry skin. What is interesting is the way manufacturers make creams are they add water to ointments. And when you add water to a product, there's an increased risk of getting infections and in, bugs, mould and so forth in the product. So the manufacturers, when they add more water to make a cream, also add preservatives. To go a further step to make it more watery, it means going to a lotion and again the same, a few more preservatives to make it more watery. Just, but just to make sure that when you and I open the bottle we've just purchased from the pharmacy when it was manufactured a few months earlier, is not mouldy, that's why they add in preservatives. At the other extreme is uh, a gel formulation, so to typically have alcohol as the base, so they evaporate on the skin quite quickly. And if skin's very oily, then that can be very helpful because it's not going to clog the pores. But for sensitive skin, that can sting a little bit and it can be a little bit drying, interesting. You will recall I mentioned earlier, if someone is having to wash their hands a lot, using an alcohol hand wash is helpful because it'll evaporate, it'll dry quickly. And that's the advantages of gels. But someone who has got uh, a very, very inflamed skin 
they might just find that stings a little bit. So your person who's presenting with ageing uh, blocked pores, it's likely to be solar comedones and sun protection is very important and using sunscreen that's not too oily would be very helpful. And lastly, avoid using night creams or heavy creams. So they're sometimes heavily pushed by the cosmetic industry as a way to reduce wrinkles, but at the same time they can clog your pores. Thank you. Uh, some people asking about rosacea, um, and this again might need a definition. Uh, this person says, I have rosacea and recently had a flare up. What prescription products are available to manage this condition? Many thanks. So all of us, when we go from a cool environment into a warm, we'll get a bit more colour in the face. Uh, some people tend to blush and flush a bit more readily if they get a bit embarrassed. So along further along the spectrum, there are some people whose blood vessels react even more so. It's almost like turning a light on and they go incredibly red. So rosacea describes that redness. And sometimes that uh, is composed of just little broken blood vessels. It might show with a whole lot of tree branches over the skin if you look really closely. It can also have a form where it's uh, got an acne or lumps, red lump version, and so they call it acne rosacea. So the rosacea describes the redness, and you can get different forms, as I mentioned. You can just have the broken blood vessels, or you can have a lumpy acne form, or they can be get even more severe with much deeper deeper lumps and a very rarely bit of swelling or puffiness of the nose. So it would depend a bit on the spectrum of that as to how we best treat your listener. Um, be, what we really notice is um, foods tend to aggravate it, so spicy foods, alcohol, caffeine uh, can make those those changes much worse. And so if you've noticed some of those environmental exposures making it worse, it's sensible to minimise those or mitigate them in some degree so that you've not got that factor aggravating the problem. But what's interesting is we see this condition in people who have Scottish or Irish ancestry, and we know that sensitivity to sunburn and light is a major trigger. And hence, the most important way or important tool for managing this is to be very strict at reducing the sun exposure on your face. So using a broad spectrum SPF 50 plus sunscreen is critically important and 50 plus because it has adequate UVA protection. UVA is present all year round and all day long and so that's why you need that sun protection all year round not just in the middle of the peak summer. If that alone is not doing enough, we often use a vitamin A treatment cream at night, which helps to reduce some of the sun damage as well as those variety of acne-like changes. And that is by prescription, which can be from a GP or a dermatologist. In rare occasions when the topical creams don't do enough, then we use an oral form of that would be the next step. Uh, otherwise, there are a variety of other treatments, but that's getting a bit obscure and would be better for any individual listener if they're still concerned about it to go and see a skin specialist about them. Thank you. Very helpful. Are we short of dermatologists in New Zealand, by the way? Unfortunately, we very much so. Um, what so causes the shortage? There, why is a, that? There was a rumour going around that it was because they, they were um, 
intentionally, well, this is not just dermatologists, but the medical profession in, in general, intentionally not registering many new ones each year to keep prices high and keep demand up. But I'm sure you'll have a different perspective on that as the chair of the New Zealand Dermatology <laughs> Research Trust. Uh, well, absolutely. I do have a different view, Jesse. And um, the problem is that all our hospitals are very, or, or very few hospitals actually have enough dermatologists in them. So it's not just about finances. We can be able to provide dermatologists in a lot of regional areas. So it is simply, again, like we've heard from lots of other specialties, that the population in New Zealand has has doubled since I was at uh, medical school at the last millennium. And yet the numbers coming out of medical school haven't changed much. It is really pleasing that the government's recently announced increased numbers to go through the medical schools in future. But it takes 13 years to, uh, to for training to dermatologist. So, you know, we're going to still have quite a, a long lag phase for that. And very similar to the general practitioner population, you know, our average age is um, well into the late 50s. So we're going to have quite grave shortages of dermatologists in the next 10, 10 years, unless uh, we have probably imported a few a few more um, just because we can't get the numbers through that, that quickly. So it is really about um, underfunding of um, medical training. That's the reason. And there are certainly to tra- train for 13 years requires quite a lot of persistence and resilience. Most people might then pull out a wee bit earlier. General practice training isn't quite as long. Um, but as I've mentioned, there's still a shortage there. So it's part of the whole wider shortage of um, medical specialists. What is a scar? A scar is where there has been a defect in the skin and you have done a repair job. It's a bit like a darn, um, you know, when the old days you darn your socks and so forth. And the tissue there could be variable. So sometimes it's not far off normal skin, but some people don't mend the gaps as well. If you get an infection after you have had some surgery done or after an an injury, then it creates even more inflammation. So the scar the skin healing tissue ends up being a little bit wider than it would have if it had, had ideal conditions. So the scar tissues themselves can look slightly paler in colour because they don't have quite the same number of blood vessels travelling in them. Sometimes they can have a bit of a a dent in them because the dermal layer, that packing layer, hasn't been able to mend as well. Sometimes the skin is over-enthusiastic with its healing and you get a build-up of the thickness of the outer layer so it can be raised and sometimes feel a bit itchy. There are treatments to help reduce that thick, thick scale scar tissue, but hopefully that's answered your question for you, Jesse. Is there anything you can do with scars to make them look less obvious or to generally look after them? Yes, the time to look after a scar is immediately after the injury to try and minimise infection to rest the area relatively so there are fewer forces pulling the wound apart. So, for instance, after surgery, you often put tape at right angles to the direction of the wound just to help minimise the stretching away. It's akin to saying stiletto really pointy heels leave a much greater dent in the skin, whereas if you can disperse the pressure of the wider heel, you won't get the same indentation on the flooring. So putting some tape across helps just to spread the load, as it were. 
uh, eating a healthy diet so and getting plenty of sleep. So diet rich in plant-based foods, as you mentioned earlier, having plenty of water, minimizing alcohol and um, rest, as I've already mentioned, are the ways to help. If you do get an infection in the wound, to get it treated with appropriate antibiotics promptly. And then if, for instance, you've had sutures put in after the sutures have been removed, just providing tape support over that wound till it's toughened up a bit longer can also reduce the risk of scars being stretched and taking longer to heal. When the scars are very, very thick, we can use some creams to help thin them, and sometimes we use injections to re reduce the thickness too. So yes, there are a variety of ways we can help. Sometimes you can use laser treatment and other techniques to, to help slim or thin very excessive scarring tissue. What are the worst things we can put on our skin? The sorts of things you wouldn't put on your best bench top. Um, if you read manufacturers' uh, instructions, handling terps and paints and so forth, then those are things that shouldn't be put next to the skin. So very, very harsh chemicals, so extreme acids, extreme bases would be things to avoid on the skin. Extreme UV or radiation damage would be unwise. So those would be the probably the worst things that would come to mind um, immediately, Jesse. What about products? Any ones that you tend to avoid? So are you talking specifically about like sort skin of products? You buy from skin products. So it would depend very much on your skin. The bottom line is keep it simple, and um, if you. Yeah, and the other thing would be if it ain't broke, you know, don't try and fix it. So if you've got a naturally oily skin, you do not need to use a moisturiser. Moisturisers are to replenish or to help with very dry, cracked, tight skin. If your skin's not dry and tight, you might not need to use a moisturiser. Um, would be just some examples there. It, it's got into vogue about shampooing conditioning their hair every single day, that's not necessary because the skin doesn't, for most people, there's always exceptions to every mm. rule, of course, but, you know, once a week or twice a week, you know, at most is, is more than enough. And that not only helps with uh, the hair quality, but because shampoo conditioners often run over the rest of the body if they are used in the shower, they can cause dryness and implications elsewhere. So if people develop an allergy, for instance, to a component within it, then you might see rashes over the face that have come from shampoo conditioner, for instance, mm. and they can dry it out that way. It's also expensive on your pocket. It isn't uh, much good for the earth either, going into our waterways and impacting on the plant and fish life there, going through more plastic containers. So less is better, GC. Thank you. Uh, good advice. Uh, we have actually got a pot plant expert who comes in from time to time and she says about your pot plants, your house plants, just look at them and you'll know if they need a water. Is it sort of the same with skin? Don't put moisturiser on unless you can actually see something that needs moisturising. Yes, and the other thing with the skin, though, we can also feel it better too because although some plants, well, yeah, you typically look at them, as you say, and if the leaves are looking a bit limp, whereas it might be that our, our skin is starting to peel and crack a little bit or you can just feel often it gets a bit itchy or just sort of feels a bit tight. So we've got that additional indicator. 
but yes, same policies. Um, the only sort of exception would be because if, you, if people have got fair skin and we have a very high skin cancer rate in New Zealanders using a regular sunscreen on exposed skin only, particularly during the daylight saving months. But if you're a person who has had skin cancers before, we recommend that all year round. Or if you've got a skin condition that makes more sense for sunlight, such as the rosacea we mentioned earlier, then those would be times when using it all year round would be sensible. Um, probably a bit of a stretch, but dandruff, what's your best recommendation? Dandruff's a skin problem, isn't it? What, what, do you, what can you tell yes, people to is. get dandruff? So they can be caused by conditions that produce to have a higher turnover. So just like we mentioned psoriasis earlier, that's one cause. There's another condition called seborrheic dermatitis, really sensitive scalps that can cause that. Uh, sometimes it can be from dryness. So getting the right diagnosis first can be helpful because you might treat them differently. So if someone has got a sensitive scalp, then using milder uh, products would be helpful, such as the oatmeal-based um, shampoos, conditioners can be helpful. If someone's got an underlying eczema, then trying to identify what might be triggering that is smart. So if, for instance, you're you might be that you're allergic to a component in your shampoo conditioner or having patch tests taken by a dermatologist would be a way to help address it to answer you because it might just be a change of product can help. Psoriasis, it will be managing the whole body like we mentioned, the diet, the regular exercise and so on and then there'll be particular products that can help reduce it. So sometimes we use tar-based shampoos um, which have anti-itch properties as well as reduce the cell turnover and then going on further if a person has more extensive disease elsewhere using appropriate tablets to help the rest of the psoriasis will also help the scalp. So going back to your original question, it depends on the underlying cause. We would tailor the treatment according to the cause of your dry skin or your dandruff. Um, most people, though, if they um, try a product from the supermarket, such as the Selsun range, they often find that that helps. And if that helps it, then you probably don't need to go further. Thank you. What is your daily skincare routine, Louise, if you don't mind me asking a personal question? So um, I'll use uh, water and a um, face cloth for washing in the morning. I'll put on a light sunscreen before I go off to work. And then at the end of the day, uh, wash with uh, minimal soap and water. And if uh, and I soften my hands because I wash my hands a lot in the course of the day, I'll put moisturiser on my hands before going to bed. And that would be it. You wash your face with soap? No, um, with just water, water and a face cloth. In the morning, um, I, but, but at night I thought you said soap and water. Same. Uh, no, that, uh, so if I'm um, showering, I would use minimal soap and water where I need it. Um, what about if you've been wearing makeup? Uh, well, with COVID and wearing masks, I don't not wearing makeup. I have worn makeup for some years. So, yeah. if I were to, yes, I would probably use a gentle skin cleanser, such as a Cetaphil gentle skin cleanser, and rinse off with water. You don't use daily cleanser um, though. No, I don't need to. <laughs> your body, your, the, your skin, your skin itself um, exfoliates naturally. So it comes off and comes away. And I don't have a an oily skin type. Someone who has oily skin might use a little bit of soap and water morning and night. Uh, and mostly water, but no, um, I've that's I don't have a, an oily skin, so I don't need to do that. Let your skin do its thing. 
Yep. So, you know, water is a good way to wash your skin. And then, as I say, just a, a, a lightweight sunscreen on a routine daily basis, moisturise because I wash my hands a lot in the course of my work, my job. That's it. Pleasure to have you in again. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. Thank you, Jesse, and hopefully it's been able to answer people's questions. And mostly it's keep it simple, use less.